Ann and I have friends who are missionaries to East Berlin, Germany, Christopher and Stephanie Elmerich, and the older members of their congregation tell them stories about what life was like when the wall, the Berlin Wall, was still standing. Christianity was illegal, and many of the leaders of the church were imprisoned, even tortured and killed because they refused to stop talking about their faith. And so the church in East Germany met in small home church groups. They would mouth the words to hymns because they couldn't sing out loud lest they be arrested. One of the stories that was told to Christopher and, El and uh, Stephanie a number of times is that on a particular Sunday, two members of the Stasi, the German secret police, found out about one of these worship services, and they burst into the apartment. They said, anybody here who's not a Christian can leave. The rest of you will be executed. Several folks ran out the door, and after they left, the soldiers put their guns down and said, we wanted to worship with true believers. Well, that situation changed dramatically on November 9th, 1989, when the Berlin Wall came down. If you remember the pictures, people were dancing as the wall was coming down. There was one guy who ran back and forth at the Brandenburg Gate from East Germany to West Germany to East Germany just to celebrate the fact that all of Germany was one. And that's pretty much like what Paul is writing about in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 22, the wall has come down. Listen, for this is the word of God. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has broken down, who has made us both one, and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are near, you who are far off. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Now, to really understand this passage, you need to know something about Herod's temple, which 
was still standing when the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. It would be 10 years later that the Romans would invade Jerusalem and tear down the temple. But Herod's temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, an amazing structure. I talked last week about the center of the temple, which was the Holy of Holies, but radiating from the Holy of Holies in kind of concentric semicircles were the courts. There was the, the holy place, then the court of the priests with the raised burnt offerings, then the court of the sons of Israel, the court of the women, that is Jewish women, and then a very tall wall. There were 14 steps leading down from that wall to another lower wall, about five feet high, and behind that lower wall was the court of the Gentiles. Now, the passage Harry T. read was from Solomon's temple, where Solomon says that the nations, the Gentiles, would come to the temple to pray. And it was okay for the Gentiles to pray as long as they stayed in their place. They could even stand on the top of that five-foot wall and look at the sacrifices. But if someone climbed those 14 steps and entered into the Jewish area, there were temple guards who would kill them immediately. That's what Paul is talking about when he talks about the dividing wall of hostility. It was a wall between the Jew and the Gentile. In Christ, that wall was destroyed just as certainly as the Berlin Wall came down. And Paul says we are one in Jesus Christ, no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, Galatians 3.28. But imagine this, you're a Jewish man and every morning of your life you would say this prayer, Yahweh, thank you that I am not a Gentile. They actually said that every day. And then, overnight, you are told that the Gentiles are your brothers and sisters. It would be a difficult transition. In fact, it is the major issue of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul preached this gospel of grace and freedom, that in Christ we are all one. And then he would leave a town and a group of Jewish Christians called the Judaizers would come in behind him and say to the Gentiles, Oh no, you can become a Christian, but first you must be circumcised and obey the Old Testament law. The Apostle Paul said that that is heresy. That is contrary to the gospel. And there was a whole meeting of the church in Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, the first great church council which proclaimed that Paul's gospel would be the good news of the church. The dividing wall is gone, and we are all one in Christ. The big idea in this passage, friends, is that Christ has removed all barriers, and he's called us to live Lives of peace. Now, that word peace occurs throughout this passage, and 
The Hebrew word shalom is one of the richest words in all of Scripture. If you were to go to Israel today and greet someone on the street, they would say to you, shalom, that's the greeting, peace. It means harmony. It's the kingdom of right relationships, harmony with God, harmony within ourselves and harmony with others. The most important harmony, of course, is that we have peace with God because of the cross. Listen to verse 16. That he, Jesus, might reconcile us both, Jews and Gentiles, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And the hostility was not just between Jews and Gentiles. It was between people and God. And in Romans 8, excuse me, Romans 5, Paul writes these powerful words. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by his death, uh, the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. The word reconciliation describes two enemies who are brought together. The Billy Graham organization has a pamphlet called Steps to Peace with God. And it shows a diagram. There's a great chasm. On one side of this chasm is God. On the other side is mankind. Mankind tries to bro breach the gap with religion, with morality, which philosophy and it all falls short because there's only one thing that can bridge that gap and that is the cross of Christ because of the cross we are one he talks about <clears throat> those who are far off and those who are near the ones who were near were the Jewish Christians some of you grew up in the church and you were near all of your lives. Those who were far off were the Gentiles, people like me who didn't grow up in the church but came to Christ. The good news is that we both have access to the Father through the death of Christ on the cross. We can have peace within because of Jesus Christ. I think there are a lot of people that you and I know who have very little personal peace. They're full of anxiety, full of fear, low self-esteem. Paul Simon wrote about those people in his classic song, I Am a Rock. The second verse says, I built walls of fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. And a rock feels no pain. And an island never cries. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, said that if you don't want to experience pain, don't love anything, not even a pet. Because life brings pain. Life brings loss. But friends, 
Life does not need to bring anxiety. The Bible doesn't give a lot of formulas, but here's one that works. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, Have no anxiety. Nada. Zip. Zilch. No anxiety about anything, but in everything. The whole enchilada. Everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding, will fill your hearts and minds with Christ Jesus. Whenever you feel anxious, there's a simple answer. Take it to the Lord in prayer and leave it with Him. Don't grab it back. Trust Him that He will give you personal peace. The strongest emphasis in this passage, friends, is that Christ enables us to break down the barriers with people who are different from us. That we can live in peace because he has broken down every wall and he calls us to break down those walls as well. I don't know about how you see it, but I see our society today in my lifetime we are the most polarized and divided society ever racially politically economically there's such division we who claim the name of Christ should do everything we can to break down those walls and to create unity we can live at peace with people of different races. I became a Christian as a sophomore in high school. I came to Christ through First Presbyterian Church in downtown Pittsburgh. I would take a streetcar and a bus to get there for youth group Sunday night and stay for Sunday night church. It took me about two hours round trip. And so my youth pastor said, you know, you really can't come Sunday morning and Sunday night, why don't you find a church in your community? And he knew a pastor in my community who worked for a wonderful ministry called Youth Guidance. He was a tent maker and a Baptist. His name was Reverend Ernie Frederick. And Pastor Ed said, go meet Ernie and try out Johnson Avenue Baptist Church. I did, and I loved Ernie. He and his wife, Lita, kind of adopted me with their three kids. And for church socials, I'd sit with the Fredericks. And I, I loved the church. At the same time, I was this naive new Christian. And I was trying to share my faith with everybody, whether they wanted to hear it or not. And so I'd, I'd talk about Christ with my classmates. And there was a new girl in, in school. Her family had just moved to town. And her name was Claudia Duncan. It was an African-American family. There were five kids and parents. And I shared with Claudia my faith. And she said, Dave, I'm a Christian. My family loves the Lord. We're looking for a church. And I said, have I got a church for you? Johnson Avenue Baptist. And the entire Duncan family started to come to worship. Um, 
It was wonderful. Claudia and her two little brothers and Marlene Simpson, another classmate who went to that church, the five of us would get together before school and pray that God would use us to share our faith with our classmates and teachers. Everything was wonderful until the Duncan family decided they wanted to join Johnson Avenue Baptist Church. And the deacons of the church called a congregational meeting to discuss whether the Duncans could join. I couldn't believe they were having this meeting. One of the deacons stood up. They excused the Duncans, of course, but one of the deacons stood up and said, I don't mind them coming to the church, but I don't want them joining. I don't want my son to marry a black girl. We all know, of course, that step one is church membership. Step two is interracial marriage. Ernie, the pastor, said, well, you probably want to remove my wife from, leader, from membership because she's Filipino. She's not white. And the guy said, no, no, that, that's different. I wasn't sure how. If membership is for whites only, what about brown, how are brown people different than black people? Well, my friend Marlene took one of the songbooks and she opened it up and she read this song. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. She sat down and people booed. I knew we were in trouble at that point. They took a vote by secret ballot and the congregation voted not to allow the Duncans to become members. I never went back. Uh, Marlene never went back. Ernie resigned that Sunday. And for the next two years, he drove me down to First Presbyterian Church downtown. Uh, he saw the light, became a proponent of Reformed theology and a Presbyterian elder. So there's a happy ending. But in the book of Revelation, Jesus talks about the golden lampstand. It represents the local church. And he says, interestingly, to the church at Ephesus, you've lost the love you had at first, the love for, for me, Jesus. Unless you repent, I will come and remove your golden lampstand. Well, the fact in church history is that the church at Ephesus ceased to function. If you were there today, you'd see only the ruins of the first century church. 99.98% of Turkey is Muslim. But it applied to Johnson Avenue Baptist Church. Within a year, the church closed its doors. Jesus came and removed that golden lampstand. What a contrast between that and the National Day of Prayer here in Thomasville. At Mount Sinai Apostolic Church, there were black and white Christians praising God together, praying together for the city, the state, the nation, the world, united in a powerful way in Jesus Christ. We need more of those events. I am heartbroken that Ann and I will be gone this next weekend. I'm preaching at my son Dave's installation service as a pastor in Delaware and I'm going to have to miss the Juneteenth celebration. But I want to urge you, if you can go, to be a part of that. 
to celebrate our unity in Christ. I'll mention two other things. Politics. Once again, I've never seen our country more divided. We don't only disagree with people of the other party, we demonize them. They are evil. Even if they were our enemies, which they're not, what does Jesus tell us to do with our enemies? Not to disparage them, not to mock them, but to love our enemies and pray for them. We need to learn how to disagree agreeably, not to give up our convictions, but to love and to be friends with people who disagree with us politically. And finally, economically. When I pastored a church in Fort Lauderdale, Bethany Presbyterian Church, it was a congregation with a wide disparity in income. There were some very successful businessmen, and then there were families that were struggling to make it. One of the wealthy businessmen let it be known that he wanted to see more successful people on the session. Successful meaning rich. People found out about that and I think resented that. And then our church took on a project. We were going to build as a church a house with Habitat for Humanity. This was back when Habitat for Humanity was a really Christ-centered organization. And my friend, the wealthy businessman, worked shoulder to shoulder with some blue-collar guys who were, in fact, much better at construction than he was. And they became friends. An interesting thing happened. He stopped talking about successful people on the session and started talking about servant leaders, which is what the Bible calls our elders and deacons to be. So friends, whether rich or poor, black or white, Republican or Democrat, we are called to be one in Christ. We as a church are to promote loving, peaceful relationships with all people. The kingdom of God has no walls, and neither should we. Where do you need to experience that peace that passes all understanding? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you are our peace, and you have made us all one and broken down the dividing walls of hostility. But Lord, we confess that there are still dividing walls of hostility in our society. We see them. We may have even participated in them. And we ask, Lord, that you would use us. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Let it begin with right relationships with neighbors, with people at work, with classmates at school, with people who disagree with us. For Lord, you are the great uniter. And by your spirit, we have the power to do far more abundantly than anything we could ask or think. And we pray that now in your strong and blessed name.
let the people of God say, Amen.